This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, Joyce and Sharitz here, here with you uh, this Chinese New Year Eve. Coming up after the 8am news bulletin, we have the breakfast grill. And on the show today, we have Philip Dicona. He's an innovation strategist and the author of the book, The Trust Economy. And his book looks at uh, the way the digital economy is reshaping the way we live, work and play. You know, especially where the gig economy is concerned, which is something we spoke about earlier this morning, Sharitz. Yes. On how the gig economy could, I mean, is it the answer to youth unemployment? That's right. And we were talking about Grab, uh, Grab driving uh, in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, we're going to be talking to Philip as well as on the, I mean, on the gig economy and uh, the issue of trust or the trust in the business of trust. So stay tuned for that. I'll be speaking to him on the Breakfast Grill in the next 15 minutes. But before that, let's take a look at the business headlines. So, you know, there was a lot of news over the weekend that Parkson is moving out of KLCC. So after two decades, um, they're moving out of KLCC and the Parkson Group is clo- closing down their outlet there and uh, the group they have been streamlining its presence in Malaysia over the past year I think this story came about in uh, Star Biz over the weekend where they cited that in a notice on uh, Parkson's Facebook page they said that they're having a moving out sale at its KLCC outlet until February 17th so I guess you can get stories from all over now you know Facebook pages Instagram mm. pages there's a lot of Parkson uh, fan out there okay. yeah so well um, Shards you know Parkson opened up in uh, Sura KLCC in 1998. That's some time ago. Yeah, and so, uh, that would be when KLCC was uh, was first op- was first uh, operational, if mm. I'm not mistaken. And uh, this is as they occupy a three level area spanning uh, 126,000 square feet. Now and. Industry observer who requested anonymity uh, claimed that the Surya KLCC is constantly looking to diversify its tenant mix and wanted back the lot that Parkson occupied. Now, quote, uh, now this observer, quote, uh, from what I understand, Parkson did not want to move out and were keen to maintain a presence in Surya KLCC, unquote. So, yeah, what does this say about... Uh yeah, pattern of behavior. Well, yeah, it's interesting. Does this mean, I mean, I guess this brings up the question whether or not department stores are still, you know, still very current or mm. could it be selected department stores? Are shopping um, preferences changing when it comes to people uh, shopping? Is that is that shifting? And um, I, I spoke to someone over the weekend on this story at a birthday party, uh, mm. a one-year-old's birthday party, and he's in the retail scene. He has a... Uh, shop in KLCC yeah. and he says that you know I think what KLCC could be doing is that bring take back this 120,000 square feet area mm-hmm. break it up mm-hmm. you know have more tenant mix in there right. and maybe even do more walkways so make the whole shopping experience a bit more different so as opposed to just having one so Parkson is just one brand you have different tenant mix in there they already have a standalone Isetan mm. so you know they kind of have two department stores in the area so maybe what you're looking to do is mix in, mix the tenant mix up right. and just create a bit more space when it comes to the whole shopping experience yeah the shopping experience have definitely changed I mean mm-hmm. a lot of people are moving to Towards from retail, uh, physical shopping brick to and online, mortar. yeah, brick mm. and mortar, and then moving on to online shopping as mm. well. A lot of the things that uh, Parkson is offering, sometimes it is being offered. For an example, electronics, uh, you know, perhaps there's still value with regards to clothes 
and fashion. Uh, however, KLCC still remain a tourist attraction. Yes. Uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. a lot of people still, it's, it's the center of Kuala Lumpur. It is, um, uh, how do you say? Um, it's a must visit if you're yeah, a tourist. Yeah, it's, yep. it's a must visit. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it's not having Paxson there. I mean, it, Paxson would, would probably be devastated about this, I guess. Well, looking at Parkson, they currently have more than 100 stores in the region with over 14 Malaysia, occupying a total of 5 million square feet. And last year, Parkson actually closed their 220,000 square foot outlet in Maju Junction. It was actually an anchor tenant of the mall and started operating there in 2015. They also shut down their 107,000 square foot Sungai Wang Plaza outlet, which opened in 1987, as well as Parkson Flemington outlet in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. So following the closures, I think a company spokesperson was quoted by Starbiz as saying that the closures were necessary due to changing market dynamics. So again, back to the whole shift in consumer, I guess, shopping preferences, whether or not people are still going to department stores or is it selected department stores or even department stores themselves will have to change the way they sell their products That's right. in their stores. Yeah, it's true because people are being able to probably get different sort of people are able to get bargains from other places besides retail as well so it's uh, there's a lot of things to consider there's the lifestyle and the experience of shopping all that has to be taken into consideration i must admit that uh, this for chinese new year this year i really had no time so actually i i'm not very uh, familiar with online shopping i prefer Mm. to go to brick and mortar go and you know touch and feel the material try it on to see the fit but I didn't have much time this year, so I did online shopping. And I must say, it was very convenient. Oh, right. Because at that, and there was this whole, for me, there was this fear of what if it doesn't fit? What if it's not what I expected? Mm. And they've made the whole um, process of returning very seamless and very easy. So that got me a bit more confident when it comes to online shopping. And this year for my uh all my Chinese new addresses was all online. Yeah, and online shopping, I think it's not just uh, limited to just retail, but there's also day-to-day products, mm. for example. So um, hypermarket is, is also being affected in this case. So is it the end of hypermarket as well? So for an example, we have Maiden, who has sold off its uh, 48 Maiden convenience store in 2017. Earlier this year, Maiden, they expect a difficult 2018 Um it, and Dato Ame said that outlook for the hypermarket segment is scary. Now, in 2017, they've experienced contraction in some store sales where revenue generated by existing outlet. Shoppers are spending 7% less per trip. Maybe per basket, purchase dropped for an average of 53 to 49 ringgit per basket. So this is sort of reflecting on uh, consumer spending, mm. on whether or not uh, we people are able to spend, you know, people have the economic power to, to, to spend more at this sort of uh, hypermarket. Well, Shard, there was also news flow that last year, I think Tesco Malaysia CEO highlighted that the large hypermarkets were no longer feasible due to intensifying competition in the retail landscape. He explained that grocery stores larger than 60,000 square metres are challenging to sustain and that, you know, the optimal solution is to use space better by offering offering a wider and improved range of products in a smaller floor space. See, so it boils down to how they market their products as well. And it's not just tenant mix, it comes to product mix as well for the individual retailers. And uh, what they're doing is they're also going to push to smaller stores and Tesco's next generation stores are defined as smaller size stores with proportionately wider range of products. And this could be also due to this whole the rise of convenience stores, right, mm, Sharitz? Yes. So as society becomes more urbanized, it looks like convenience is becoming 
king for consumers. And this is changing consumption's habit, uh, which could help explain the expansion of convenience store in the country in recent years. Mm-hmm. For example, 7-Eleven, Malaysia's largest convenience store chain in Malaysia. In 2017, 7-Eleven Malaysia said that it will spend between 85 million ringgit and 90 million ringgit as part of its expansion plan. Uh, and this includes operating 200 new stores this year. Wow, they are expanding a lot. Well, Family Mart, the world's second largest convenience store chain after 7-Eleven, um, they have also, I guess, upped their game. Remember, um, QR Resources mm. that's listed here in Malaysia, they are the master franchisee for Family Mart convenience stores. And QR has said that, you know, they aim to open 90 outlets by March 2019. That's next month. Yeah. And the longer term, QL aims to open 300 stores in five years. That's a lot. And, yes. you know, even for the longer <laughs> term, I think they're looking to open 1,000 stores by 20. 2025. So it looks like they see that there is demand for the convenience store. You know, it's like in Japan, every corner has a convenience store and you could have a family mart along the same road, yeah. you know, two family marts, but it still makes money. I guess it's just the whole, the, the whole change in shopping trends. Yeah. And um, also my news owned by Bison Consolidated, which operates 400 MyNews Outlet. They plan to spend 24 million ringgit to open 90 new outlets this year. Now, KK Supermart chain, they've added stores in 2017. Back in January 2018, KK Mart opened its 300th store and plans to open between 80 to 100 stores this year. So basically, you're right, uh, they're... They're becoming very convenient and the sort of product um, options that is available, it's making, it's making it very attractive for people to, yeah, to just go there rather than go to hypermarkets and stuff. Yeah, do you think maybe also with people having less time in a day, it's all about convenience. So you want to go in, quickly pick up whatever you need to pick up and ciao, right? And move, right? Yes. And, and also, I think these kind of convenience stores, what the Japanese ones have brought into the market is this whole... Um, instant food like the Odin's and all that where mm. you can walk into a family mart and buy hot food. I think that has changed the game when it comes to convenience stores as well because it's no longer just going in to buy your, I guess, your Ribena or your Milo. It's also going in to buy hot coffee, hot food. Mm. That has definitely changed the game. Yeah, and because of the size of all this convenience mart, it makes them... Uh, makes it easier for them to become very strategic with regards to where they want to be located. Mm, and so, keeping costs low. And keeping costs low as mm-hmm. well. So for example, now the size that they're operating, they can even run, um, they can even operate in an MRT station, for example. So these are where heavy traffics are. And uh, I guess it, it, it makes sound business, um, this, yeah, it, this uh, plan for, for opening it up. There. Yeah, I guess um, it is still a challenging landscape when it comes to the retail Scene and it'll be interesting to watch. You know, which which retailers are able to um, be more current, be able to re-strategize and rethink how they do business, how they sell their products. Because you know, recently there was news coming out that you know, last year after G fourteen, the consumer sentiment index surged above the hundred point optimism threshold to a twenty one year high of about one hundred thirty three points. This is for second quarter twenty eighteen. But then sentiment seems to have come down. And, you know, Malaysia's business and consumer sentiment continued slipping for the second consecutive quarter in the fourth quarter of 2018. 
So, and to add to that, according to MIER, the Consumer Sentiment Index, they sank below 100 to 96.8%, uh, 90, sorry, 96.8 points, and the Business Condition Index slipped to 95.3 points. Now, Dr. Zakaria from MIERs, now, she explained that the indices in the second quarter were an overreaction after the change of government, and the sentiment was now begin is now beginning to normalize. Now, Zakari also said that the consumer sentiment index was probably down because sentiment sacked on job and income condition, while inflationary inflationary expectations edged up. Well, speaking about consumer sentiment, let's uh, move on to travel news. Um, in this recent Edge Weekly, there's news that the EPF has voiced concern over the Air Asia MAHB litigation. As uh, this Air Asia MAHB legal tussle heats up, EPF, their common major shareholder, has asked for both parties to talk things over. So I guess what EPF is doing is stepping in to say, hey, you know, guys, can you please just talk it out and don't yeah. make it public? Because it's been ongoing for so long. And according to the Edge Weekly, EPF had written to both parties expressing hope that the dispute can be settled through negotiations. Yes. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, this is this is also what EPF is doing is actually what uh, previously MEVCOM is supposed to do, where one of the before resulting to uh, legal suits, uh, they are supposed to try and mitigate this. They're supposed mm. to address this issue uh, via uh, just by this, by 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 discussing with each other. Now sources say that EPF is worried that this again this prolonged tension will affect EPF's EPF's return to the shareholder, particularly given the current weak market. And Air Asia source confirmed the letter to the Edge. Now EPF has stakes in Air Asia and Amy M. Uh, the Malaysian Airport uh, Holdings Bahad. Now, EPF has just under 6% holdings in AirAsia Group, which makes it the third large, uh, largest uh, shareholder in the company. And they also hold 11% in MEHB, now making them the second largest stakeholder in uh, MEHB. Well, speaking about EPF, there's also news that they've sold Wisma KFC to Singapore to a Singapore company. Um, this Wisma KFC is Jalan Sultan Ismail. They've sold it to Singapore-based Royal Group and sources told the Itch Weekly that this 22-storey office building was sold for about 130 million ringgit and may be turned into a hotel. Okay. Mm. Well, in a statement when contacted by the Edge, EPF stated that buying and selling of properties form part of the EPF's real estate investment strategy. Um, and Wisma, it is where... Wisma KFC is located. It's in Golden Triangle uh, KL. It has a floor area of 340,000 square feet, 0.5 acre freehold plot, formerly known as Wisma Idris and built in the 1990s. Well, Sharad, you know, with this sale, right, some people are thinking, would this impact dividends? Would that bring about, you know, more dividends to these EPF shareholders like you and me, right? Yeah. Well, it's that time of the year again where EPF is set to declare its annual dividend for 2018 soon. And what the Edge Weekly is saying is that, you know, it could be likely lower than 2017. So we had this chat this discussion on the EPF dividends a couple of weeks ago, Sharitz, and um, this recent article in the Edge Weekly said that, you know, this potential lower annual dividend by EPF compared to last year could be due to the fact that last year's dividend, this is 2017's dividend, was highest, it was the highest payout in 21 years. And but also because nearly you know every major asset class globally from stocks and bonds due to crude, uh, due, I mean, as well as crude oil and Bitcoin that are 
has all had little or negative returns for 2018. So how much EPF needs to pay out? Um, so last year, 2017 dividend, EPF needed a total of about $48 billion or about $7 billion to pay every 1% dividend for its conventional and Sharia-compliant portfolio. This year, EPF will likely need about $35 billion ringgit to $40 billion to pay a 5% dividend for 2018. For a 6% dividend, EPF would have to... Uh, pay about 42 billion to 46 billion uh, have to have made 42 billion to 46 billion last year a tall order especially when they've gone through a tough year yeah well the fourth quarter's figures had not been released yet and it's potentially gonna be out in april but the dividend rate is likely to be declared anytime this month because you know given the past trends when you know epf dividends are concerned that has been usually um done in February. So we're in February right now. So potentially we're going to hear some news with regards to our EPF dividends. Also in the news, we have the board of Goldman Sachs saying that, you know, it is withholding a bonus worth at least $7 million from former CEO Lloyd Blankfein until investigations into the bank's involvement in the 1MDB scandal is resolved. Well, uh, okay, we are going into the news, the 8am news. After that, we'll be back with the Breakfast Grill. So stay tuned to BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.